Hey, pull up a chair. Tax on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Hey, Ax Murphy here. So excited we can talk all about the new results we uh, were going through here two days ago on a very super Tuesday. But first, I thought we could make a little news because I think I have found the MacGuffin. I think I found the secret reason that Joe Biden came back from the dead and won. We we got a team of mathematicians at the University of Southern California. We pulled them out of the rocket lab and we got the Cray supercomputer fired up and we looked at every single veritable of every single candidate yes. and their performance. And guess what we found out? We found the determining factor. What is that? If you don't do the X files, you literally come back from the dead <laughs> and so surge out of nowhere to become front runner of the Democratic nomination. So it's the curse of death, my friend. In that fact, must be a, a thank you. I, I appreciate that. Send those here. guys back to send them back to the rocket lounge, will you? <laughs> hey, uh, so well, first of all, let's apologize to our listeners. We were we would have been on yesterday, the day after Super Tuesday, but we were busy burning all the old recordings of, uh, <laughs> of us downplaying Joe Biden's chances. Right, he's Man, over. <laughs> what what was that man we, we, have you ever seen you you know we're we're a bunch of old codgers old yeah. I, i've never ever seen anything like well, what we I saw think, on tuesday i would say with of course the benefit of an eraser machine and uh hindsight but seriously you know we've both been at this a while and there has been a pattern in the past and the old pattern was you break through early you ride a media wave if you can operate you know it calls the herd and you surf forward less on advertising and money but more on success you know in the early states which is why people spend so much time and money in the early states so you know the guy who did the most of that was mayor pete who came out of nowhere to win Iowa, but he had that lightning bolt where he didn't get any credit or press attention for him. And then Amy usurped what looked like a big, impressive media wave coming win in New Hampshire. And then the media got a little bit hustled by Bloomberg, who was a hypothetical candidacy. There was no voting involved, but they saw the money and he got a lot of that media. Well, just the media. I mean, it was polls as it was polling as well. The media got hustled by polls. Yeah. Yeah. But the media is, as we both know, always more interested in polling numbers than anything else is kind of a weakness of the system. I used to joke around a lot that if I were head of red Chinese intelligence, I spend all my time bribing media pollsters because you totally can jerk Washington opinion around every every single day. But anyway, to get to my point, then Joe, who had a base, his relationship, for which I think he owes some thanks to President Obama and some tremendous thanks to Jim Clyburn, with the African-American voting bloc in South Carolina, which showed up by the time the others had kind of been strangled and out of money. And Joe, who was dead, got that 50,000-volt shock. So this was just different than the past, although you can't draw parallels, as you know better than anybody, to 2008, um, you know, a- another race where if you can split white voters and have strong, strong African-American support – you do tend to do well in the Democratic nomination process. So I, I think there's a new map going forward that will be less about Iowa and New Hampshire and more about a nationalized vote and, and blocks, particularly African-Americans, and maybe the Latino vote will become that you know, homogenous eventually, uh, that give you the nomination. Okay, everybody, that's it. Good night. Thanks for uh, tuning in. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little long. <laughs> no, I, 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 I agree with, uh, with what you're saying. I, let's Let's – Let's take apart, uh, sort of, let's do a little autopsy 
on how this all happened, and then let's talk about uh, what it means. First of all, you know, there were, if you, you could trace a set of events, the, the overarching thing, I think, is that people really, really do want to beat Donald Trump. I think Democrats are very focused on that. I think Biden was the guy who they thought early could do that. He had a huge advantage in that regard. He started looking not very formidable, and uh, and and he was uh, sinking uh, after his uh, after his uh, poor showings in uh, in Iowa and New Hampshire. Then came Nevada, mm-hmm. and Nevada made a huge difference in two ways. One is Bloomberg had to step out from behind the commercials at that debate. Elizabeth Warren eviscerated him. Uh, he uh, the the air went out of his very very expensive balloon. Uh, and then Bernie Sanders ran away with Nevada, and you'd think, well, that should have been uh, a, a key to success. No, what it did was completely panic. Yeah, scary. Completely panic Democrats who feared Bernie Sanders, didn't support Bernie Sanders, worried about Bernie Sanders' ability uh, to win. And they looked around, and all of a sudden Joe Biden started looking uh, better, and they just needed some sign that he could do this. Uh, then comes South Carolina. Uh, Biden had a, a, a decent debate in South Carolina, but also uh, he uh, got uh, the endorsement of Congressman Jim Clyburn, which turns out to be one of the few endorsements that one can confer mm-hmm. uh, or, or the few people who can confer an endorsement in this country and actually command uh, a, a measurable uh, effect. I think he probably doubled Biden's uh, lead in uh, South Carolina. Biden also had this extraordinary moment in South Carolina when uh, a, a man talked about his wife who had been killed in the Mother Emanuel uh, shooting. And his empathy uh, was in full display. It was Biden uh, at his best. We talked about that uh, last week. And, and then uh, all this wave of people dropping out uh, yeah. in his favor. You know, one thing, as you'll remember with a great deal of anguish uh, back to 2016, one thing you Republicans didn't do was consolidate around a, a candidate and uh, to uh, take Donald Trump on. So Trump ends up winning the nomination with less than a majority of uh, Republican voters uh, behind him. Democrats did unify. Uh, Mayor Pete uh you know, Steyer dropped out. The mayor Pete dropped out and endorsed uh, Biden. Amy Klobuchar dropped out, uh, endorsed Biden. Beto O'Rourke showed up on the stage uh, in Texas uh, and endorsed Biden. And all of a sudden, Biden uh, looked like a safe harbor. Uh, so, in addition to everything that you said, which is the the uh, he he did do well uh with uh with whites uh one uh whites everywhere but uh vermont uh in the aggregate uh he did do well with rural conservative whites where bernie had been strong four years ago he dominated 56 to 17 among african americans uh and he he did well enough among hispanics in the states where uh that mattered so uh now it's a whole different deal man yeah, yeah, and I look. I I agree with your uh, run through. I just add one more thing, which is Biden deserves credit for his resilience and for a few of those moments in South Carolina and for cultivating that long 
trusted relationship with Jim Clyburn, who's the new mayor daily. Um, but on election night, I think he forgot to thank the huge Titanic force, and I, I just say this tongue-in-cheek, of not Bernie. No, absolutely. Because a lot of the organizing force of the wind currents was not Bernie. And he, between that South Carolina African-American voting bloc and just hanging in there, even when there was barely a pulse, you know, became that guy. As you said, the others consolidated quickly. Uh, and so, you know, we found that something we have also said here that Bernie has a bit of a ceiling was true. And so now, you know, as the guy, especially with Bloomberg getting out, he's in a pretty strong position. Although I'll keep saying there was a reason Joe lost some of those early primaries that didn't have African-American voters in them to other white candidates. So now Operation Biden 2.0 has to continue in full swing to kind of speed their operation up to the opportunity that they, they clearly have. Look, there are a lot of reasons to believe that he's on a good path now. And, you know, Bernie Sanders people are not going to be happy when they hear me say the next thing. But they should remember that I was saying I was naysaying Joe Biden and he took off like a rocket. So this could be the best harbinger <laughs> right. uh, that they, they get. But and let you know, me I join in on that. I predict that Bernie can never win. Bernie's collapsing. So I'll, I'll talk like I used <laughs> no, but, to about but, Biden. But there, are, but there are so many signs that should be worrisome to Bernie Sanders. Uh, and, and the biggest one is how much he's underperforming uh, where he was in 2016, yeah. even in Vermont. You know, he was in the he was in the uh, in the fifties in terms of vote. Uh, he got eighty six percent in two thousand and sixteen in his home state. Uh, and a lot of this, uh, I think, is a measurement of how much flowed to him as a result of antipathy to Hillary Clinton. Uh, and uh, you know, they're going to try and replicate that now and turn uh, Biden into an exemplar of a failed establishment. Uh, status quo. I mean, Bernie signaled very strongly and he, that he's going to go uh, uh, on the offense there. What's different this time is you have the specter of Donald Trump hanging over this whole thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Biden looks like a winner again, which that plus empathy, he's finally found his who he is, and he's got his process message against, you know, I'm now the winner against Trump. It's a strong uh, bunch of cards to hold. Let me know you want to go through a few states here, because I think there are a couple of things we could point out. Uh, let's do it right now. Massachusetts, can you believe it? One, Elizabeth Warren, third place under all the rules of this that we grew up under. It is time, Elizabeth. It is time to get out. There's no candidacy there. She's going to get herself a primary for Senate. Well, I think, you know, we, we may know by the end of we may know by the end of today. Yeah. yeah. And Biden winning. I mean, you know, go Joe Go. And of course, Minnesota, where I think Amy helped. But I also think, uh, again, not uh, not Bernie helped a lot. But that was a win. You know, people say, well, what did the uh, Buttigieg and uh, Klobuchar exits mean? If you look at polling in those two states before before those guys got out, before South Carolina, Joe Biden was nowhere. He wasn't in the picture. Uh, There is absolutely no doubt. And where you see it in particular, Massachusetts is in those uh, uh, suburban areas, upscale suburban areas. Uh, where, Klo- uh, where, where, where Klobuchar and particularly Buttigieg were were running uh, their their best, uh, and Biden uh, beat Sanders soundly there, uh, and not just there, but in 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 uh, suburban areas around the country, which has been a problem for Sanders. He hasn't solved it, just as he hasn't solved this problem 
with uh, African-American voters. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, but it And even the margins, even out here in California where there's still a couple zillion ballots, well over a million to count from our mail-in system, I will bet dollars to donuts that the last huge chunk of late-held absentee ballots that were mailed, remember, you just have to postmark them. They don't have to get there in time on Monday, on Election Day, or were even walked and dropped in. Um, those those are going to inch forward a bit for Biden. I doubt it'll have a big delegate impact simply because we have this bonus delegate system here that, you know, is, is uh, not worth a lot of explaining other than if you win a big Democratic CD like a Pelosi one, you get seven. Dells, you win a Republican CD like Kevin McCarthy's, you get four. So Bernie will do well in some of those, but Biden will do well in like the Karen Bass district down here in L.A., which is African-American. So um, I bet Biden picks up another point on his margin and gets up to 26 in California, which is a lot better than where he was. I think that actually the thing that saved Sanders from a more abject disaster was early voting, and you could really see it. Yeah, you could see it in Texas, uh, where the early vote came in first, and he had a significant lead uh, on Biden. And then, as the evening wore on, and same-day voting started reporting, the gap closed. Biden passed him. I'll give you an example: a friend of mine in El Paso, home of Beto O'Rourke. Uh, told me that uh, uh, Biden got 17% of the early vote. That was what reported first. He got 39% of the same-day vote. That is a pure measure of the uh, South Carolina and post-South Carolina Carolina bounce for Biden. So what saved Bernie Sanders uh, in Texas from a a deeper defeat, what saved him uh, in California— from an even tighter race uh, was the fact that many people cast ballots early. And, you know, look, I've been a proponent of early voting because I want to make it as easy as possible for people to vote. But we see the downside of it as well. There are millions of people who cast ballots uh, that uh, probably they would not have cast if they had known who was viable uh, come uh, Election Day. That is totally right. There were people showing up at a lot of these early voting states, I know, in California, wanting to, like, recant their ballot and switch, which once you mail it, does not happen. Um, How about poor Mike Bloomberg? Uh, I I mean, I guess poor and Mike Bloomberg are not two two words that you should probably use together. You spend upwards of half a billion dollars and all you get is American Samoa, a hearty handshake and a thanks for playing. It's kind of rough. Yeah. And by the way, uh, Northern Mariana is coming up. So I hope the Bloomberg guys remember to turn off their machine there. They're going to get an invoice for 400 million more and another delegate. So, yeah, I'll give Bloomberg one consolation prize. He did a classy swan dive, you know, in terms of two minutes after this thing happened, he was out and behind Biden, Yeah, which was the right way to do it, you know, as opposed to he's going to confer with his advisors for a week and check the bumper sticker supply and all that crap. He, uh, he, he took a fast bow and got where he should be. Yeah, Bloomberg was the most uh, pronounced example of this consolidation effect among Democrats driven by Trump. Uh, right, right. By the way, what a, what a horrific uh, week for Trump. He he, the guy buys himself an impeachment trying to drive yeah. Biden out of the race. Uh, you saw, by the way, that the R's in uh, Congress now said, "Oh, we're going to dust off the old uh, 
Hunter Biden investigation. Yes, they're very now troubled. Biden had a good day. Very yeah, troubled a, now. Apparently, the 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 deep, 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 uh, threatening nature of Hunter Biden's relationships reoccurred to them about two a.m. on Wednesday morning, <laughs> and uh, now we're going to have a, a series of hearings. It'll be interesting to see how that all plays out and how people process that. Um, but it gets back to the point of again. Joe has done really well here, but Joe needs to up his game for to handle the legacy of what he's winning because some of this were forces. He's kind of like the guy who was in the uh, in the rowboat and the massive tidal wave picked him up and he wet but un, unvanquished. He winds up 1,200 miles away the next morning. So, yes, it's an amazing survival story, but it's not a tribute to rowing. Um, and so he's got he's to get ready. Look. No one was harder on him on his uh, campaign on uh, on the day of the uh, on the day of the uh, South Carolina primary than Jim Clyburn and many others have made this point. He needs to tighten up. He needs to augment his campaign. He needs to use. uh, He now has this incredible array of surrogates, and they need to be deployed because Biden is not going to be able to carry the ball. Uh, on his own, and and right. he one of the advantages he has is there's some pretty powerful voices out there now, who they can deploy. They have to do that uh, in an organized way. You know what I I'd, I'd pitch if I were them, I'd put smart young Pete Buttigieg in charge of the campaign, who is politically very smart and capable, and sends a nice generational message too, and I think gets the voters Joe isn't getting. Now, I doubt it'll wow, ever happen. That's interesting. But he's got yeah. the skill set and he and the network to help do Joe 2.0. That is what's needed. So I, I I tweeted that and I got a couple of letters. Stop! You're ruining my life. You know, not from him, but from other <laughs> Pete supporters. Uh, but it would be good. It, it would be in theory, in practice, the hard thing for anybody. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, you know, Anita Dunn's there now. She's capable. Uh, but you know, Biden has a very tight core of people yep. around him. And this has been true for 30 or more years. I mean, his sister is one of them, uh, Valerie, and uh, and Steve Reschetti, his former chief of staff, and Ted Kaufman, the former act, uh, interim senator who replaced right. Biden, who's been his friend for uh, forever, Mike Donlin, who's brilliant, uh, you know, uh, uh, but... Uh, but, you know, their relationship is such that I don't know how much Mike can tell uh, Biden. So Biden has this sort of core of people around him and everybody else is sort of in the next ring. And so he's going to have to tr- he's going to have to trust people more. You know? Yeah, exactly. That And old school polls are always like that. And look, Rochetti's a good friend of mine. I think a lot of them I think a lot of Donald. There's a lot of talent there, but they just need to be honest and change up their model in a in a fast evolution uh, to to be able to exploit this, and that's you know Hillary. It was hard to get her out of her circle, and how'd that work out? So well, she built she built concentric circles around her circle, right? right. And that is uh, that is always uh, you Trouble. know a cumbersome uh, thing. So this is this is a test. But I have to say, you know, Biden now uh, as reading this morning, he has to he has to win. Uh, fifty-four percent of the remaining delegates to uh, to get a majority, and that didn't seem possible a week ago. I mean, what seemed almost certain a week ago was that Bernie Sanders would be a delegate leader, and that Biden would be. Uh, and the question was, how close could Biden stick to him? Now, 
it looks like Biden could actually achieve uh, a majority of delegates. He needs to get 54% of the, the rest. Sanders would need to get 57. That sounds like a negligible difference. It's really not. It's yeah. a sig- significant uh, difference. And you, when you look at the array of, of, of states ahead, exactly. you know, Ca- California and Texas were the states where Biden was really going to run up. I mean, uh, uh, Sanders was really going to run up his numbers. The fact that Biden won Texas and is hanging close in California is really the worst news out of a Super Tuesday for yeah. Sanders because from an arithmetic standpoint, it's not clear where he's going to pick up uh, from here. Right, exactly. When you look at that calendar, you can see that Biden, uh, it, it's a better calendar theoretically for Biden than Bernie. And it was funny when we were talking on uh, after uh, Sunday after South Carolina, you know, the the old conventional wisdom was, oh, Bernie's going to roll up a 300 delegate lead. And we were both suspicious about that. And I was saying 80 to 120, I think, delegate lead. And I thought I was going way out on a limb. And I think you were kind of in the same place. That would be a lot less than 300. And, you know, so what felt like going out on a limb before Pete on uh, Sunday now looks like way too conservative. And if you look at this calendar, I mean, people are going to say, oh, Bernie won Michigan, which is, I think, the biggest thing coming up. But, yeah, you won it by about 11 votes against Hillary. And I think now you've got to give the advantage there to Biden. Of course, Mississippi, the advantage is going to be Biden. And Missouri, I would guess the advantage is Biden. Maybe Washington State for Bernie. But next Tuesday looks like more momentum to me unless something huge happens in the race. What's your take? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think everybody's going to be watching Michigan because uh, it is a Midwest industrial state. This is the argument from Bernie Sanders has been he's the guy who can carve into these states because he reaches into these white working class communities more readily than uh, other candidates. The fact is that wasn't true on Super Tuesday. Uh, By the way, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, uh, endorsed Biden today. Mm -hmm. So the endorsement parade continues. We will see. Uh, what that means, but uh, uh, and I'll tell you know something else occurred to me today, which is um, well, let's talk about. I'll make this point after uh, after this setup. Uh, you know, a lot was made uh, on election night about how little Biden had spent in the uh, Super Tuesday states. What we really what we really saw, and it's not the first time because Donald Trump proved the same thing. If you can command, if you get on an earned media. Uh, you know, cable TV, social media uh, wave, uh, that completely overwhelms paid media. Totally. You were on the other side of that in 2016, and certainly the Bloomberg folks uh, saw that here, that, uh, you know, that the compression of the schedule from Saturday to Tuesday and, you know, the huge amount of coverage that Biden got uh, was really, really important. I wonder, uh, Mike, uh, you know, as this, sadly, as this coronavirus thing uh, ratchets up, how, you know, how much coverage this race is going to get uh, moving forward as compared to where we just were. I mean, I may be wrong about this, but I, that's a disadvantage for Bernie Sanders, I think, yeah. because it tends to freeze things in place. I want to hang a lantern on that because... 
we know the model is generally ride the media wave. And while that was out of favor, as I said before, in Iowa and New Hampshire for various reasons, it sure worked in South Carolina rolling into Super Tuesday where earned media swaps advertising. That's one reason I always thought the Bloomberg strategy of start late was so hard to do because it's hard to win the Oscar when you're not in the movie. And the movie is the big four states. And Nevada and South Carolina this time became that that media generator and that the name ID that you can build with advertising can quickly melt away. And I think I think that happened to Bloomberg. So, you know, I, I'm with you now that we're kind of falling down the stairs here with so many states so quickly. I mean, I think we got about 900 delegates in the next uh, two Tuesdays. I can't imagine unless Biden has a nuclear level gaffe anything happening to dramatically upset the race. I mean, there might be stories at the margin that'll, that'll you know, tip the North Dakota primary a little more Bernie's way or whatever. But uh, uh, I think it's hard to have another moment like uh, he did in South Carolina just by the way the, the, the calendar is. And the other thing I'd say, and I'll bet you're going to agree with this because we're both media hacks, I can't turn on cable TV, the network I work at, the network you work at, uh, and except when we're polluting the airwaves or maybe a few other practitioners, all I ever hear for a year is it's all about the organization, troops on the ground. Yeah, it's a right. total cliche. It's massively underrated. And yet again, it gets disproven. Joe Biden was winning states he barely flew over, yeah. let alone did anything there. But for some reason, the process media won't let that go. The cynical may say that's why he that's why he <laughs> did so well in those states. But I, I think that's unfair. Yeah, they didn't need uh, them. But yeah. the, uh, no, listen, I said the other night on TV, organization is like the kicking team. It's like the field goal team uh, in a campaign. You've got to drive the ball down far enough so that the kicker can actually kick a field goal. Yeah. And that, and everything else is what drives the, the you down there. You, your organization won't save you. Organization can make the point or two difference between winning and losing. Right. And it's an amplifier. It it when you're doing well, you do weller, you know, it, it yeah. helps success grow. By the way, on Bloomberg, you know, you do wonder how different this race might have been if uh, his people had not joined that debate. If they had just said, "Hey, we're not yeah. debating until after fe- March the 3rd." I wonder if his run uh would have continued. Uh it certainly might have been a different picture right now, but that's campaigns, man. They they turn yeah. on things that uh, in the moment don't seem as momentous as they will be, but that that you know that is that will go down as a decisive decision that helped Joe Biden uh, in his uh, race uh, in his race here. Uh, yeah, let me just chime in with that. I think that's true about the debate, but fundamentally, as long as a resurgent Biden was in the race off South Carolina and Nevada. The curtain was was dropped for Bloomberg, even with a better debate. He might have won a few more votes. He made a big bet. Yeah, he made a a billion dollar bet on on Biden failing. Biden didn't fail. Exit exit Bloomberg. So let's talk about their strategies moving forward. Bernie was. Oh, can uh, I interrupt you for one minute, X? I literally have a news flash coming in. Uh, Elizabeth Warren just announced she's dropping out. So she got our memo, and you got to give her an A plus for fighting. Uh, she never gave up. She's a contender, and early on, she she did it well. But that second look at the insurance plan um, didn't do it. So this was inevitable. She had to do it. She clearly wasn't going anywhere in the race, and losing her home state badly uh, was a clear sign of that. But Elizabeth Warren ran a remarkable race. I mean, she was written off early. She is a brilliant person. 
She developed some very, very, very interesting policy. She ran into a buzzsaw called Bernie Sanders, couldn't outmaneuver him for the uh, leadership of the left. But Elizabeth Warren ran a very good race, and everyone should recognize that. Yeah, look, I thought at the beginning she had a pretty good stranglehold on the race, which she created herself and put herself in a great position to win. But that second look on Medicare for All put her on a downward spiral. I think there were some strategic mistakes, and she could never quite get out of it. Sometimes she was a little too clever or cynical by half, I think. But she was a contender, and I my head tips to anybody with the guts to go get on the ballot and run for president. So I doubt we've heard the last of Senator Elizabeth Warren. Well, we haven't because the most important question now is who will she support moving forward, if anyone. If she goes with Joe Biden, that would be a tremendous boost for him, signifying a figure from the left yeah. uh, embracing him. Uh, if she goes with Sanders, it could enhance his, uh, his, his move to uh, broaden his uh, appeal. So we'll wait and yeah, see. Yeah, that's on a huge that. point. It's either a real, a real signal that Biden is the person if she goes with him, or she goes to Bernie. He's got a new, very effective attack surrogate. Just to ask Mike Bloomberg. So we'll wait to see what happens. Uh, so moving forward, Bernie, I was about to say, is about as subtle as a fart in a spacesuit. Uh, and, you know, he was very clear on election night. I haven't heard that one before. How he was uh, going to proceed. He, you know, Yeah, he's getting out the red hammer. Biden is now the corporate tool. And you can tell he likes Joe, so it's hard for him. Trade, the bankruptcy bill, which Warren had criticized uh, uh, Biden on, but not lately. Social Security, he's already running ads attacking Biden for uh, – suggesting uh, the freezing of Social Security as part of austerity measures in the uh, in the past trade big. You know, he's going to go after him on that. And, and being supported by billionaires, an argument that, let's face it, may be abetted by the spending that uh, Mayor Bloomberg uh, will be doing in the coming months to help uh, to help Biden. He also did a curious thing, which is. The day after he got his butt kicked again across the country among African-American voters, he started running an Obama ad. Words of praise from Obama for Bernie Sanders from I don't know where and a montage of photos of them uh, together. Uh, he is courting a story here because, in fact, it was true that Bernie Sanders was looking for an opponent for Barack Obama, for President Obama, in 2011. Uh, and he, uh, uh, and he, you know, <laughs> I mean, they they were they worked together on many things. Uh, they were, uh, but they also had deep philosophical differences. And Sanders made that clear and wanted a primary opponent in 2011. So the fact that he's now running Obama ads. It's curious to me, and I wonder whether he's going to buy some trouble with those. Curious, the great political word. I find it curious. Well, I think that would be a perfect topic for you and Joe to discuss on the X-Files. See, I'm trying still. Yeah, um, yeah thank but you. Seriously. We buried something on uh, Warren. Apparently yeah. no endorsement in her withdrawal. Is that right? I haven't seen the, the I haven't wire. seen the details. I just know she's out. But, you know, that's a, that is an interesting tell. Yeah, yeah. You know, speaking of the axe fight, uh, no pun intended, uh, that Bernie's going to try to start with Biden. And, you know, some of those things can cut, like Social Security. What's your view on how Biden ought to handle it? Because Bernie has an army of precious millennials who you need in the general election and think Joe is Mr. Old Politics. So you got to somehow smite Bernie down without 
tear-staining the Che Guevara hipster liberal T-shirts that populate his army because you don't want those pouting voters to uh, to hate you as much as Trump. What would be your maneuver in the uh, jungles of the Democratic primary to try to pull that off? Because I don't think Joe wants to be a punching bag on Social Security. No. But you got to be a little careful with Bernie because you attack his voters, you're buying long-term trouble. I bogart my way through it. I wouldn't get into it. I just say, because the fact is nobody really believes that Joe Biden doesn't support Social Security or believe in Social Security. And I just bogart my way through it and say, look, I've always supported Social Security. Uh, and I want to make sure that Social Security is, is strong, available, abundant for, uh, you know, for, for generations to come. And that's a solemn pledge. And it's been my work for 50 years, you know. And let Bernie, I mean, I would not, I would just reassert my commitment. I wouldn't get into a, well, what, what I meant then was, oh, what I course, said then yeah. was, Biden, given his instincts, Goes to uh, goes to defense. It uh, goes to the defense yep. posture. I would not do that here. That's uh, back to my point about Biden 2.0 to show a little finesse because Joe will be happy to give a two-hour speech on his simple historical legislative positions on uh, on Social Security and why once in a while he and the Republicans thought it was a good idea to slow it down. So this is going to be a good test of better Biden. March fifteenth, there's a debate on CNN, presumably. Everyone will show, they both will show up. It may be the last debate if Biden is smart because, and if the DNC is smart, if all they're doing is facilitating um, hand-to-hand combat between the Democrats, that probably doesn't serve uh, the purpose of the the larger uh, goal. Question for you, though, just quickly on that, in terms of DNC politics, because I don't know this. In the actual Democratic National Committee, those members, which is a large and occasionally ungainly organization compared to our Republican National Committee, which is smaller and just half crazy. Uh, But on the Dem side, how many Bernie people do you think they have on the DNC that will put pressure on the leadership for more debates? Because, you know, Perez has to be a politician. They could. Yeah, because he's got a chunk of that, right? Yeah, Uh, Yeah. they could. They could. So uh, that'll be, you know, he'll have to handle that. That's a terrible job, uh, Chairman oh, of the it's Democratic hopeless, National yeah. Committee. So uh, he'll have to uh, he'll have to navigate uh, that. Just on the larger point of how Biden needs to appeal to uh, some of these Sanders voters, I do have a concern, and I've said this publicly uh, about kind of uh, you know in crushing Sanders that you not crush the aspirations of these millions of young people who have responded mm-hmm. to his message. These kids, and I work with them every day, and you do too, at, you know, you at USC, me at, at the University of Chicago. These kids want to change the world. Uh, and they want to change, they, they, more than wanting to change the world, they feel a sense of urgency about things like climate change, about inequality, uh, which, uh, growing inequality, about social injustice, uh, uh, you know, frankly, about the cost of education, uh, of a higher education. There are things that they feel uh, a sense of crisis about, and they feel like the system has not responded. And that's why they're so uh, they're so responsive to Bernie's message. You don't have to adopt Bernie's uh, prescriptions, but you should adopt his sense of urgency because these are serious problems. And, you know, so the message that I would send from, if I were Biden, to these young people is, uh, I share your sense of urgency and I share your sense of cause. 
and that cause will continue and we will uh we will work with uh uh you know with you know with urgent need uh on these things we're we're not going to uh, shove them aside it's really important to i think show respect to these young people because they are providing some a uh, moral uh, leadership here uh in terms of some very very urgent uh very very urgent problems yeah i agree with that i mean the greatest issue is bernie has a cause based movement and joe biden has a campaign so Joe needs to have what the European parties would call a youth effort, a youth campaign, which isn't just tactics, but it's to adopt the romance of a cause and to make sure he's always shows a legitimate, you know, ear and listening to their concerns. Or he is politics incorporated. He's the man. And then after the revolution fizzles out, the next step is to just turn away from politics. And that is both, you know, morally to get the votes you need as president to govern and tactically to get the votes you need to win uh, a big deal for Joe. So they've, they've got to be careful in how they handle this. I, I couldn't agree more. And he, you know, look, I thought the reason he was so good in South Carolina in that speech that night he won was that... Um, he lifted it to a high moral plane. He 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 talked not in sort of uh, you know prosaic terms, but in uh, poetic terms about where we as a nation go. You know, Mario Cuomo said you campaign in uh, poetry and govern in prose. Sometimes after all these years, uh, Biden uh, Biden uh, resorts to prose uh, and starts talking about. His legislation and this subsection and that and so on. This is not a time for that. There's a sense of urgency here that people feel, and he needs to capture that. Uh, and uh, if he does that, I think he's going to do well. But the bottom line on all this is that uh, is a reflection of just how dynamic this system is. And you know, one thing we've said, we have said consistently, is. What this uh, process requires is humility. Two weeks ago, it looked like Sanders was the clear front runner for the nomination, and it looked like Donald Trump was sitting in a pretty good spot for re-election. I still think Trump is formidable for re-election, but look, he bought an impeachment, as I said earlier, to try and stop Biden. They don't want Biden. If Biden becomes the nominee, uh, I think that poses some uh, real problems for Donald Trump. I agree with you, but I think Trump is a little more vulnerable because I think the country wants to fire him. And a less sticky candidate, like I'm hoping, don't know yet, but hoping Biden 2.0 can be, is is a very good thing for the Democrats and a very bad thing for Donald Trump. We should talk about the coronavirus story, uh, which is obviously going to get worse. You know, presidential campaigns uh, turn on things you can't predict. Barack Obama got elected, I believe, between September 15th, 2008 and uh, September 26th uh, when they had the first presidential debate. September 15th was the day that Lehman Brothers collapsed and the financial crisis announced itself uh, to America. And how he handled that in that moment and how uh, John McCain handled it was very important and how that race turned out. People are watching President Trump right now, and how he handles this is going to have a material effect. The The impact on the economy also will, uh, but this is going to be very important. 
And he's, I think, discovering that the old playbook may not work against a pandemic. Yeah, no, no, I agree. It's a little different opponent. You can't just have Hannity come out against science. I agree. This could be, and here's one just for you, uh, Jane Byrne and the snowstorm. Uh, yes. Because massive incompetence in, a, in an issue that matters to people every day. We should set it up for people who aren't yet grappling with a social security issue um, in their <laughs> lives. Uh, Jane Byrne was the uh, was was a insurgent mayor of Chicago, challenging the Democratic machine in 1979. I actually covered that race, and uh, she was considered the longest of long shots. And then it snowed for 40 straight days in Chicago, and. Uh, the you know the city that works didn't work right and uh, couldn't clean up the snow couldn't clean up the snow so this is a really tough challenge for Trump uh, you can't tell people who are sick you can't tell people who have lost a loved one that this is fake news it's not fake news right and it's competence and that's where Trump's biggest weakness is because one he's Trump and two and you can ask anybody who ever worked for him in business. And two, he is surrounded by, in many cases, real dregs or incompetence because real people either won't take the job or Trump won't tolerate them. So the government is going to be stress test a little bit on what it can do and why I don't think it'll be a complete disaster. It's going to be subpar, and that's going to reflect directly on the POTUS. Just at the time that a, that a Democrat who you know at least can point to a long history in politics of having an impact and and you know, not being incompetent is going to be most likely we'll see the opposition. So it's a bit of a perfect bad storm for the president. Let me just add because I know what people are going to say, and uh, I and, and I agree with it. No one should root for failure on this. No one should root oh, for not. failure. I, I hope that's. I, I actually hope Trump surprises on the high side because there's a lot of fear out there, and there's a lot there's a lot of pain, and there's going to be a lot more. And what we really need now is sort of the thing we don't expect, which is a competent response and and truth and facts. Right. Uh, the most important thing about a public health crisis, and I, you know, worked at the White House through some of them, is you need to let the experts speak. You need to give people the facts they need. You can't minimize uh, this. I'll have something to say, uh, more to say about this in the last call. So um, I hope they get their act together because there's a lot at stake here. Right. And one one silver lining in this, because we, we don't want there to be any more pain than there has to be, is one, the CDC has not been political enough to be on Trump's radar screen, so it has not been molested by the administration. And in many cases, the frontline world here is going to be the county and state health departments which reflect a lot of essentially competent governors of both parties around the country. So I think, luckily, it's not all on the president's shoulders. Uh, he's got some help, which is good. And as you said, I agree, let the pros do their thing. I, th- I, don't, I don't doubt that there are tremendous professionals in the government. I've worked with them on these public health issues. The question is just whether they'll be allowed to do their job and whether they'll be allowed to share news that the president doesn't want shared. For political reasons, that, that, that's going to be very uh, important. With that said, uh, be well out there. And now we've got to pay a few bills, so let's go to our sponsors. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. 
it's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach it's not yeah a good and, and and like you're on your way to something good a, a, a celebration or party or something and now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it except there is an answer now and it's called relief band tell us about relief band Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero For as long as needed, the technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to ReliefBand.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to ReliefBand, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. It's All right, that was the magic jingle. It is time for the mailbag. First question from Bob to Axe and I. What happens to the delegates that a candidate has earned when the candidate drops out? Big question. Yeah, it is. You know, uh, these delegates are pledged uh, and... Uh, but if a candidate drops out, there there is a conscience clause in, that would uh, allow delegates to uh, to switch their uh, commitments at the convention. Uh, so, for example, the Bloomberg delegates, if if they uh, if they exercise it, they could vote for Biden. The Warren delegates, they could vote for Bernie. But let me just say this: this was a really good question, uh, probably forty eight hours ago. Uh, it seems to me that it's much less likely now that we're going to have a contested convention and uh, more likely that there's going to be some sort of coalescence around a candidate and that candidate will have a majority uh, going into uh, into the convention. I mean, like all other predictions, the gigantic caveat associated with that, but the odds have gone up that you'll have a more traditional uh, convention come uh, yeah. Milwaukee in July. Yeah, it's sure looking that way. I'll, I'll, I agree with what you said. I don't know the Democratic rules as well. I got to look at them. They're all freed in this on a second ballot if there ever were a second ballot. Right. Also on the second ballot, per rules that Bernie Sanders supporters helped write, uh, you uh, the the super delegates come into play. Uh, that is these seven hundred or so elected officials and party officials around the country who are essentially ex officio members uh, of the of the convention, it would be very advantageous for party 
harmony if uh, if Joe Biden is the nominee if he doesn't have to rely on superdelegates uh, to secure the nomination. Again, yeah. I think it is increasingly likely that you're going to have a more conventional convention, as it were, and a, and a first ballot victory for the nominee. With everybody dropping out, you know. Yeah, and that's an important point. If the superdelegates uh, come riding in from the political elite to smash Bernie because he doesn't make it on the first ballot by 100 votes, uh, that will be, as we say in the business, bad optics. I'll just make a footnote from Republican land. I have not yet studied up on my Democratic uh, delegate rules. I'm finishing Das Capital first. But <laughs> in the Republican world, you know, people assume the delegates are loyal to their candidate. And in a lot of states, the delegate bodies are elected by one process, and then the primary tells them how to vote on the first few ballots. So back to go back ancient history, back in the Dole days when I worked for him, we were always worried that a lot of the delegate bodies that were pledged to Dole from primary results were actually Pat Robertson people. So on a third ballot, when they get to vote what they want, they weren't our people. So there's some complexities in these open conventions about what the delegates' hearts and minds versus who won a primary that instructed them to vote a certain way on the first ballot. All right. So Ali has a question for you, Murphy. Despite what seems like a preponderance of data that voters are not ideological in their preferences, e.g. voters suggesting that Bernie's their second choice to Biden, or others saying that they want a woman at the top of the ticket, why do all pundits, including you guys, always revert back to ideology as the guiding principle when discussing scenarios? We're not all pundits. We're old pundits. There's a difference. The truth is there's no. all voters are unique. So some people vote because they like the bumper sticker logo. But generally, ideology, along with age and, and gender and race, all these things can pull on voters in different ways because it's a human business, how they react to the candidate. We just find historically in primaries, voters do tend to have more ideological interest and definition, though Trump blew that up in our thing because he was more of a populist than a conservative. And the old rules were the, the conservative uh, on the litmus test issues would have an advantage with primary voters. So I think there's some slack in the system. I think one thing the punditry world has gotten a bit wrong this year is the kind of current fascination with gender as a driver of voter behavior. I mean, more than half the the voters in the Democratic process so far have been women. But if they were voting on gender, uh, Amy wouldn't be out and Elizabeth Warren wouldn't be getting out today. So voters are more complex and sometimes the template that particularly inexperienced people doing punditry project. Uh, On that one, uh, I think one thing that needs to be studied is how women react to women candidates uh, and whether there is some gender bias among some segments of of women to a uh, to a female candidate last call oh there's the music it's time for last call what do you got x so earlier i talked about how trump was handling the uh the crisis last night he went on sean hannity's show and naysayed what the world health organization said their calculation that there would be uh perhaps a 3.4% mortality rate associated with this coronavirus, which is a staggering number and a, and, a, and a disturbing number. And Trump said, I don't think that's right. I don't believe that. I think it's going to be much better than that. And this is what I was talking about. There is no value. You can't spin away you know, a pandemic. 
and uh, tr- what has worked for Trump in the past won't work here, and he can actually do material damage. He encouraged in that same interview people to go to work his, if they feel sick. His experts have said, if you feel sick, do not go to work because you'll spread this virus to another hundred people. And so this is really serious, and this is one, you know, you, you, you just pray that Donald Trump can put the country and public health ahead of himself here and stop trying to spin the facts in a way that aren't warranted because there's, there's, there's real danger associated with that. Couldn't agree more. Narcissism does not mix with science, and the president needs to get out of the way and let the professionals handle it. My last call is just a quick comment on this new kerfuffle between uh, Democratic leader Chuck Schumer and Chief Justice Roberts of the Supreme Court. The Chief Justice, on behalf of the institution, admonished Schumer for holding a campaign-style event where he invoked the names of some of the uh, justices and talked about a, a pending vote. Um, Schumer has been criticized for that, uh, politicizing the, uh, in a personal way, the members of the court. Schumer's defense is, well, Trump does it all the time. And I would say to Senator Schumer, you're, you're, you're right on that point, but imitating President Trump is not a step forward for anybody. So, um, I think, uh, the Senator ought to, uh, step back and think that, well, he can say that, yes, I'm being as bad as Trump. That is not the appropriate way. Let's, I think, I think Schumer can do a, a better job of being more adult than the president and, uh, mimicking him is no step forward. So, uh, score me of Roberts on that. And I wouldn't mind Roberts standing up for the court against the next time Trump goes after Lana Kagan or somebody on the left. I agree with everything you're saying, Mike. I just uh, wish that the Chief Justice uh, were as mindful of all of the... And he has spoken out at times. I mean, I give him credit for that. But no one has done more uh, in terms of trying to uh, of undermine, uh, undermining judicial integrity than Donald Trump. True enough. And uh, he deserves to be called on it again and again and again. All right, brother. Well... On to, uh, on to Super Tuesday 2. Next week. We've got, we've got a series of Super Tuesdays here. Super Tuesday is so big, you can't even have it on one Tuesday. It is going to be incredible. We've got Idaho, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Washington State, and we will have the facts from Fargo, North Dakota as well next week on another big Tuesday in the presidential race. Thanks for tuning in to Hacks on Tap. Hacks, great to chat. Thanks, brother. See you next time. 